0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Wall of Power of Radio Owls, your host, Paul Metzah. We have a great new episode tonight. We're going to be talking about Twang Fest, which is happening Saturday, May 13th at my favorite bar, Palmer's Bar on the West Bank. We've got a couple of the artists that will be performing. The artists that will be performing are John Magnuson, Molly Mayer, Doug Collins, Becky Capel, the Good Time Gals in the Union Suit, and starting off tonight's show, a fellow I've never met and uh, will get to know over the course of the interview, formerly the Carpet musician and songwriter, John Maguson. John, how are you tonight?
1: I'm just doing just fine, Paul. Thanks for uh, having me. It's been good to, uh, to be here and talk a little bit about the Twang Fest coming up.
0: Let's talk a little bit about uh, the carpet baggers because you guys had a nice little run there in the nineties
1: uh for yeah, a while we were, yep it's true we were uh we were uh, definitely a creature of the nineties uh, kind of spanning that whole decade was when we were an act you know a real active unit where we were making records and going touring a lot um and and playing around town a lot too. Uh, we 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 were on the Clean label, which is Jill McLean's label uh, uh, under the Twin Tone umbrella. Right. And uh, and then we did a lot of kind of we did a lot of touring, um, and a lot of it was str- uh, a struggle. But then we got lucky. Uh, in about na- it was 1995 that uh, totally out of the blue, the band uh, Sunbolt, which came out of the breakup of Uncle Tupelo, Sunbolt and Wilco, uh, Sunbolt. Uh, just plucked us from <laughs> obscurity for their first ever tour, and we got to tour with them. So, And then we we, uh, we went on uh, subsequent tours with them as well. And what was good about that is uh, we, all the touring on our own was hit and miss, but with them it was a little better, you know, because they were successful. So it was kind of cool to see success up close, even if it wasn't our own success. Anyways, the band, I'll just say the Carpetbaggers were kind of a three, oh, they were not kind of, they were a three piece with a stand up bass and electric guitar. We kind of did bucket, honky tonk, country stuff uh, from the 50s and 60s. That was our influence, but we did a lot of original material based on that kind of backdrop.
0: And of course, Sunvolt uh, featured a a Minneapolitan. Uh, Doug
1: Boquist played in Uh, Yeah, Dave, yeah, Dave Boquist, and also, uh, and and Jim, Jim was in it too, the two Boquists, so, and that was uh, our introduction to them too, we hadn't, I hadn't met them, I don't think, before uh, that whole Sunbolt thing happened, but yeah, it was good to get, uh, get to know them, and in fact, uh, then I, I put out a record in 2020 called Barely Noticeable, and I was able to uh, trick Dave and no I'm kidding. I was able to uh get get Dave to uh play on a couple of songs on my record, so uh that was of course a highlight for me uh so uh, anyways, yeah it was real real lucky that we got to uh, go on the Sunbuld tours because they were fun you know
0: kind of the uh, the Boquist brothers of talented uh, duo were kind of the uh acoustic version of the batson brothers um yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. multiple and more but, uh all right. of, uh, both Bill and Ernie, good friends of mine. Let's do this a little bit. Uh, uh, as we go back, let's listen to The Carpetbaggers. What song, John, are we going to be listening to?
1: I believe we're going to be listening to Cry Myself to Sleep. Great.
0: The Carpetbaggers, Cry Myself to Sleep, and then more with John Manguson who's performing at Twangfest at Palmer's Bar May 13th. <laughs>
2: To the bank, and I cry myself to sleep.
0: Cry myself to sleep by a great Minneapolis band, remembered fondly by many of us, called the Carpetbaggers. One of the gentlemen that was in that band is uh, still with us, John Magnuson. So, John, now where did you come from? When did you start playing music? And uh, uh, give us a little background on, on yourself.
1: Sure. Uh, the other Carpetbaggers and I, we grew up uh, in Edina. I uh, went to Dinah High School, and then uh, start, we we started a rock band, kind of that never got out of the basement. Right before I went, then I went to college in New Hampshire. While I was in uh, New Hampshire, they continued and they formed a band called the Contras, who you might remember. Uh, okay. That was uh, two two of two of the Carpetbaggers were in that, along with uh, Mike Laheka, who you might know, and uh, Andy Wolfe. Uh, So they were, while I was in New Hampshire uh, College, they were doing the Contras thing, and then when I came back, Contras kind of petered out, and then we started uh, up the uh, Carpetbaggers. So uh, that's kind of where I come from musically. I grew up, actually, you might be interested to know that my very first uh, uh, guitar teacher when I was younger, uh, like in seventh grade, is Tom Lieberman. Um, Oh,
0: Really? Tommy yeah, Lieber yeah. is, is one of my yeah, oldest yeah. friends. I moved to uh, Minneapolis in 78 and I moved to Ridgewood Avenue because I knew one guy uh, named Tommy Lieberman who lived on Ridgewood Avenue and uh, he and I have been friends ever since. Well you, uh, uh, I will have to tell Levo that one of his students says has done well for himself thanks yeah, to yeah
1: yeah he uh he actually has known me my whole life because he's a family friend. I have older brothers, and so he was uh friends with my 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 older brother. so he was always around the house uh they were hanging out and then uh yeah then uh, now I've known him just through the music connection all through our adulthood so yeah he sure is a great guy and a fantastic guitar player as and singer as we all know. So.
0: Well, and, uh, of course, he, he uh, had a long run with the uh, jazz trio Rio Nido that became a quartet. Yep. And also a great uh, solo career. I mean, this the thing about Tommy Lieberman, uh, he opened up for Brownie uh, McGee and Sonny Terry when he was 18, and Brownie invited him on stage to play with him because he was that good. I mean, at 18 years old, uh, not bad for a white Jewish kid uh, from yeah. the w area.
1: Yeah, right. I I remember seeing that. Uh, there's a photograph that he has of him in Brownie, and I remember looking at that every time we would have a guitar lesson over at his place. So, yeah, well, that's that's something to be
0: proud of. Well, that's a great way to get started. Now, what us? What were some of your other uh, musical influences, John Magnuson?
1: Well, I was uh, I I came out of the womb. I'm convinced uh, a John Prine fan. I like uh, when I was. Uh, uh, I don't know how old I was. It was very young, third or fourth grade I heard him and it was I, it was just an immediate fascination. I, was, I just I just spent uh once I heard him I just spent a hundred percent of my time listening to him. And uh so he was my first concert at O'Shaughnessy in seventy eight. It was a it was a wonderful experience. You know, it was just great. So uh and then uh I did eventually become quite the the Dylan guy. Um so yeah, I I pay a lot of attention to Bob and I've listened to a lot of Bob over my years and then I then I got into the old country because the uh, bass player in the carpet baggers, his name is Rich Copley. He is a big record collector and he really loved Rockabilly and also that kind of country that happened at the same time as Rockabilly where they sort of had to the co- old country guys had to respond to Rockabilly. Rockabilly or get kind of washed out of the business, and some mm-hmm. of the stuff that the old country guys did uh, in response to rockabilly was uh, is particularly cool. It's kind of niche, but that's what we liked, and so that's kind of was our uh, our uh, our main uh, uh, inspiration. In the carpet baggers, so besides yeah, us,
0: I, besides Sun Vault, um, who did uh, who did the carpet baggers uh, play shows with or open for as well? Because I remember you guys were. You had, like I said in the beginning of the interview, you had a great run. Tell us some about some of the other musicians and bands you played with.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yes. We we were we were kind of like the uh, sort of a, 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 a practically speaking a good opening band because we could get on and off the stage quickly and we knew right. our place. Anyways, uh, we opened for uh, Paul Westerberg at the State Theater. That was real towards wow. the end of the Carpetbaggers' main existence. So that was good. We got to play with the Los Lobos uh, at the Zoo, um, and that was really cool. Uh, let's see, I'm blank. Oh, uh, a really great show for us was we uh, we got to play the Old Guthrie once, which I'm glad uh, we were able to do, and that was opening for uh, Alison Krauss. Wow! Um, so um, I think uh, we had Sue McLean to thank for that, and uh, we sure, uh, it sure was a meaningful experience for us. Because thankfully, it w- it went well. <laughs> so it doesn't well, always go well, but that night, that night it went well. So. Sue
0: McLean is uh, the late great Sue McLean, one of the greatest independent music promoters in the country. Uh, yes, she. I was honored. She booked me eight different times at the Guthrie Theater. And uh, Mm -hmm. the Guthrie itself is the institution celebrating their 60th anniversary this year. But I tell people, and I'd like you to talk about this, how great the acoustics were in the old Guthrie Theater. I I would tell people, standing on that stage, and you're standing on the same spot that uh, Miles Davis, The Temptations, Patti Smith and Bruce Springsteen, and Elton John all played their Minneapolis debuts there. The band, Frank Zappa, Maynard Ferguson, I mean, the list goes on forever. But the acoustics were such, and actually the great uh, Ralph Rapson, who designed the theater, designed the, uh, when it opened in 63, they'd been working on it since 61, designed it with lights. To figure out where the sound waves were going to go, and I think between uh, huh. the the magic of that and then all of the musicians that played on that stage and the wood surrounding part of the theater created such a wonderful acoustic experience. I referred to it as standing in the sound hole of the world's largest acoustic guitar.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Do you and that makes me think of seeing uh uh seeing john hartford there in the 70s oh, wow. I when he was just, just, just solo and he had his you know souped up uh banjo and he was walking all all around uh, he's portable because he was wireless or whatever it was and he's walking around uh the whole stadium and sitting in different parts of it and continuing to play it oh, it was pretty great
0: well he was a uh uh not only a phenomenal musician that really kind of helped kickstart what is now known as the Americana movement, uh, yeah, by, yeah, you know, uh, by by his appearance on the Smothers Mother Show, uh, his song "Gentle on My Mind," and uh, but he was yeah. also a riverboat captain, and uh, mm-hmm. I have a record that I, 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 I could pull out my my desk drawer and look at it right now that he signed. He was also an ace calligrapher uh he had oh, another oh yeah he had a marvelous uh, uh handwritten script and just an incredible guy i was able to open for him up at pirates cove uh which burnt down a few years later up in st cloud just a couple years before he passed but he had a real interest in uh america and the, the history of this country and i know Uh, the next day they were driving down to Wisconsin and they went down to Baraboo, Wisconsin to the, uh, uh, what was it, was it Ringling Brothers and Circus? There's a uh, museum down there. And uh, John Mm -hmm. was was headed there after the show. Well, yeah, just, uh, we remember, uh, you know, uh, John Hartford. God, it's, you know, I'm going to do a little piece at the end of the show. I had a chance Mm -hmm. of opening up for Gordon Lightfoot in 1995 in Superior, Wisconsin, where the uh, Edmund Fitzgerald on on just a magical evening, but I was just thinking after Gordon passed, you know, it was amazing uh, when I grew up and when you, you know, when you were around that we would have, you could go see John Hartford and John Prine and Gordon Lightfoot and Bob Dylan and Merle Haggard and Doc Watson. And it was, we were really blessed to come up as young musicians under the uh, umbrella of all those, all of that beautiful music.
1: Very true, very true.
0: Now, tell us about uh, this latest record of yours.
1: Yeah, um, okay. So, yeah, I was kind of out of the music scene forever, and uh, looking back, I kicked myself. I I should have been making music when then. I was making music, but just in my basement. Anyways, I'm glad to be out there again. And so uh, in order to sort of kickstart uh, a re-entry into the scene, I thought, well, let's make a record. So I did, um, and that was really a great experience. I had, uh, I had ne- never done it all, the way, um, been so heavily involved in the process. So it was like almost kind of like uh, graduate school for me or something to get a record all the way through to finished. Um, and so I just had some songs. Oh, and then I had recently been uh, doing some songs with somebody, a friend, uh, I was con- I was uh, converting uh, or not converting. I was taking their lyrics and putting some tunes to it, and it made me write some slightly different kinds of songs, and I got excited about them. So I I uh, I chose about five of those collaborations and and matched them up with other songs from my repertoire, as Bugs Bunny says, um, right. to um, to to match uh, with the, those songs as best I could, and then. But I have a whole bunch. As I say, I kept playing when I was out of the scene, so I got a lot of material, so uh, I have a couple recording projects going now to uh, follow up at Barely Noticeful. But that album, it it has Dave Bocas, as I said before, Paul Virgin plays guitar on a couple tracks, uh, and um, Becky Capel sings with me a couple times, too, on on that record.
0: Well, Paul Virgin is one of my favorite guitar players, and a tone-meister of tone-meisters. Uh, I used to go yeah. see him when he played with Molly Maynard over at the Nice Paul and A's Room, and I was always amazed at what a great guitar player Paul was.
1: Yes, and uh, one would get a healthy dose of Paul Bergen at this Twang because he plays with both Molly and Becky, so uh, that'll be a lot of Bergen to uh, to take in that night. So, Bergen fans, take heed.
0: And once again, Twang Fest, May 13th. Uh, 3 to 10 mm-hmm. o'clock at uh, Palmer's Bar, the oldest bar in the Twin Cities. I think they started slinging whiskey there in about the turn of uh, 1900 uh, as the century came in. So I also, when I was reading a little bit about you, John, uh, we also shared a bass player, the great Steve Murray. Oh,
1: yeah, that's right. Yeah, Steve was on that that record that barely noticeable. It was him, uh, Steve, on the... Uh, bass and Peter Anderson on the drums. That, that was my uh, rhythm section there. And I should mention, uh, I'm my trio who uh, kicks off the the twang, twang fest uh, on May 13th. Uh, uh, we start at four. And my trio consists of a guy on bass. His name is Paul McFarland. He's a bass player in um, Run West You Run and also in Lolo's Ghost and a couple other sweet projects. And he's a fine fellow and uh, really lucky to be able to play with him. And on drums, I have John Sanbo, who, uh, among other things, the drummer. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Uh, he, he drums for Curtis A and, and In the Dark Click and um, other things. So, yeah, it's John Sanbow and Paul McFarlane, and I make up the John Magnuson Trio. So, we'll be playing at four. And then the union suits will come up after us at 5, and then they'll just keep building and building and building, and the excitement will build until we get to Molly Mayer at 9 o'clock.
0: Well, that's And it's a great—I uh, have uh, had more than one cocktail. I usually do a, a bump of brandy and a cold glass of grain belt when I go to Palmer's, but they've got a, that beautiful stage in the back and the patio. We should have nice weather by then, so I suggest everybody go out there and support uh, one of my favorite bars of all time. And I've been in a few, so I know what I'm talking about. John Magnuson, I look forward to seeing you, Uh, on hearing you one of these days. We're going to end with a song. Tell us a little bit about this tune we're going to hear, I Can't Leave Well Enough Alone.
1: Yes, it's uh, called I Can't Leave Well Enough Alone. It's kind of a song I had for a while, and it was finally time to record it. And uh, what else to say about it? It's kind of a, there's a um, play on words, I guess, with I Can't Leave Well Enough Alone, that uh, if one were to listen to the words, you might pick up on it. Um, But anyway, that's all. I can't think of anything else to say. It's nice to listen to the song.
0: Well, John, thanks so much for taking time tonight to speak with us in the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Once again, Mm -hmm. Twangfest, May 13th at Palmer's Bar on the back patio. Have a great gig, man. Say hi to everybody you just mentioned. And when you bump into Steve Murray, uh, tell him uh, uh, I I miss him uh, dearly.
1: I sure will. Yeah, he's a wonderful guy, and he'll love to hear from you indirectly like that. Sounds great, Johnny. You have
0: a great gig, and thanks for taking time tonight. Thanks,
1: Paul.
0: Welcome back to the second set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We're talking about a great event coming up on May 13th at Palmer's Bar, Twang Fest. We have the organizer Doug Collins with us now. He's been on the Wall of Power Radio Hour before, but I'll tell you a little bit about him in case you don't know. Doug was born in Iowa and known as Minneapolis' best-dressed songwriter. Doug has been called one of the most brilliant songwriters to emerge from the Twin Cities in nearly two decades. SouthernMinnesotaScene.com told us that. A born showman, he weaves in wry humor with soulful singing and emotionally power-packed songs. His hooky mix of Beatlesque pop and classic country are highlighted in his energetic shows, both soloing with his band The Receptionists. His last two CDs, Voted Best of the Year by the Minneapolis Star Tribune, And Good Sad News, voted number three Best American release in Spain's Route 66 magazine. This guy is bad and known internationally, and he's organizing TwangFest. Doug, how are you tonight? Good. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. And tell us about uh, how TwangFest came together, and uh, what was your uh, idea for for putting this great lineup of music uh, and musicians together?
3: Well, I was—I um, love the outdoors um, summer scene, you know, when you get to see a lineup of bands that you love. And there's always different ones, and they're usually kind of under one umbrella. And I was thinking, you know, we have such a great and in some ways unheralded, unheralded um, country, twangy Americana scene here. And I wanted to really kind of just put the focus on that. And so I just I I talked to the wonderful Palmer Spar about that, and so they said go for it. So I just tried to get as many people as I knew who thought would be you know a great fit, and I was lucky enough to get uh, the ones that I did. And um, that's coming up, yeah, soon. That's why we're talking about it. How about that? Yeah. Well, tell
0: us about uh, tell us about the bands that are playing, and tell us a little bit about each of them.
3: Well, let me see. Well, John Magnuson's going to be starting us out. I think John is just an incredible songwriter, singer. Um, you know, he was with Carpetbaggers back in the day, and now he's got his own little trio that has uh, still has the same drummer from Carpetbaggers, and he has Paul McFarland, who now play, plays with Lolo's Ghosts, plays with Run Westy Run, and they're just a real tight trio. I think they're amazing, great songs, great performances. We have. Um, you know of course, the one and only Molly Mayer is going to be headlining. She's just an institution in this town and also just a really just a really good person and I was very happy and honored that she wanted to be part of this. Um, we have uh, Becky Capel who um, I think also has she has an incredible band. she's a great songwriter and a very, just an amazing singer and I love doing any kind of show I can with her part of it. And, I like, and the Union suits are, I knew them back in the day, and they have just kind of come back in town within the last, like, two years. Uh, Max Markin is the leader there, and he's, he's a hell of a front man and a great singer and songwriter, so I wanted to make sure they could be part of it. And then we have uh, the Good Time Gals. So I'm not uh, as tight with as the other ones, but I'm really looking forward to seeing them. I've, uh, I've seen them from afar, but I can't wait to see them live on uh, that Saturday. Now, and then you, there's I mean, us me and my band we're playing we're good that's all i gotta <laughs> say about that. Ah, the receptionist now
0: uh tell us once again i asked you uh, the last time you're on the show we always enjoy having doug collins on where'd you come up with the name of the receptionists
3: well i was my day job um is being uh, a receptionist at the university of minnesota and um I had been out of music for a while, and uh, an old bandmate was getting married, and so he wanted to put together a band for his reception, and then, so we practiced, and I said, well, we need a name, and he said, what's the name? And I said, well, it's the receptionist, because we're playing at a wedding reception, and I'm a receptionist. So uh, it went from being a joke to something now that has been my band name for like 20 years.
0: Now, where else are you playing around town?
3: Uh, we just played last week at the three three one, 3 um, which I love. We have some stuff coming up this summer. We're going to be playing um, at the Lower Town Sound this, uh, Festival this summer. We're playing at Palmer's. We have some stuff in the future uh, down the road at the turf. Um, you know, we just try and get out and play as much as possible. And this town, the Twin Cities is so good for doing that. I mean, um, There aren't, of course, as many places as we remember from, like, the 80s and 90s, etc., but the places that we have now, I think, are just, we're very, very lucky to have such a healthy and thriving scene. I, I know if I wanted to, I could go out every night of the week to a different place and see people play, and that, to me, is just, I feel very lucky to be in a town like that. I was
0: just telling the story, my band, Cats on the Stars, we did four years of Tuesday nights, starting in about 82 at the 400 Bar, which is right on the corner of uh, Cedar and Riverside, yeah. just, just uh, a little bit north of Palmer's Bar. And we used to have mm-hmm. a ball. The back then, when you're talking about uh, a great music scene, back then, just at the 400
3: Bar. Oh, my God. Would- the 400 was amazing. And it was, it was something different all the time. It just seemed like you, it was a place to go. You know, and that's the one thing that I think these places also have in have in common. You went there, and that was the that was the. You went there not even knowing half the time who the band was, And, and, and you would see your friends. You'd see your friends there. You that's where you would meet up. You'd see music, and that's how these scenes start. And, and the four hundred well, just I miss that one a lot.
0: Well, I mean, you look at. Uh, I was just going through my archives, and I found an, an ad from the 400 bar in one week you could see willie murphy solo piano uh spider john kerner and tony glover <laughs> cats under the stars the maroons a great reggae band yeah um uh bill hinkley and judy larson uh and then jerry Rao uh, there was just uh, kind of a who's who the west bank music scene then uh just Kitty Corner from the New Riverside Cafe, and the extemp. So you'd have a lot of the musicians, uh, national touring musicians that were playing there, would occasionally come over and uh, uh, and and hang out at the uh, the four hundred. Now, when Cats and the Stars played there, we passed the hat. We made you know good money for a bar in the the mid eighties. Uh, but they let us pass the hat for a little extra gas money, and occasionally, after a couple of c- cocktails, we'd run the tip jar up to Palmer's. We would walk the tip jar around Palmer's. People would be dumping money in the you know in the tip jar. <laughs> and finally, somebody go well. Where's the band? And that was our cue. We'd go down at the four hundred and we'd take off before we
3: we got arrested. <laughs> but, but that was That's the band. Great. That well, was I the vibe on the West back Bank. At that time, you know, Palmer's wasn't having music, and most of those bands were at. Um, oh, and now of course the uh, the Viking.
0: Yeah. Oh, exactly. Let's not forget the great Viking. Bar. The, yes,
3: really. Another another great West Bank place. And I mean, these are just places on the West Bank. You know, yeah. they're, they're still you know like. God, we talk about this. Me and my friends, you know, the, all all us old men are like, remember this, remember that, remember the Poodle Club, remember, um, yeah, you know, what was the what? I can't. I, now I'm just totally blanking. But there was, um, yeah, the triangle, all over the place.
0: The triangle, which was a little bit before my time, where Willie the Bees held forth. Bonnie Raitt uh. got to start. Colonel Ray and Glover. Uh, yeah, and then you go up the street uh, a little later on in the 90s. You had the Triple Rock, which was, you know, more punk yep. rock. Then you go a little farther up. You had the Whiskey Junction. There's that great blues. And, yeah. R&B and then, of course, the Caboos, which had everybody from Levon Helm, oh, sure. to Robert McClinton, to James Brown. Uh, you could literally, uh, and I've said it for years, you know, I moved to town in 78, and, and when I wasn't playing, which I had eventually to playing five or six nights a week. On my off nights, I would go see whatever style of music you wanted to see on Monday night. You wanted yeah. to go see reggae, you went to see ipso facto. You want to go see great blues and R&B, you went to uh, uh, Bunkers or or the Caboose. Oh, sure. Right. And, you know, or you'd get eventually the Dakota, you'd hear jazz, the Artist Quarter on 26th and Nicolette. It was really an embarrassment yeah. of musical riches.
3: Yes. I played at the Artist Quarter... Um and the next day it burned down the one that was on yeah 26th and first right there so i like to think mm-hmm. that I, my band in like 1989 was the last band that played there before it um caught fire oh my god
0: i remember i saw hubert sumlin there the night uh, i went and i was recording a, a record at the children's theater they had a little eight track studio and i went down and I was sitting at the bar watching uh, Hubert Sumlin. I knew he was most guitar player. I didn't know him. I got to know him very well. I booked him several times when I was booking Famous Dave's bar- Barbecue and Blues, starting in two thousand one. But I'm sitting there, in Tom Sirowitz, which the uh, uh, jazz yep. critic writer play. and
3: reader, I guess.
0: Yeah, he goes, "Are you going to say hi to Bob?" And I said, "Bob, who?" He goes, "Bob Dylan." And I look, and in the booth, there's Bob Dylan, shades, polka de- polka dotted shirt, that great. Wow. Uh, a great hairdo with two gorgeous women. So I walked up, introduced myself. I happened to have the, cause the dub cassette from our session. I gave it to him. I gave him some promo from Cats on the Stars. I still wish I had a picture of Bob Dylan reading the Cats on the Stars one-page promo oh, sheet. What a memory! How great is that? Oh, it was phenomenal. And uh, and then you know over the years, boy, I saw Jay McShann, Joe Pass, Tal Farlow. Dave Race, oh letter, my God. Nick nice I mean, that was the, the AQ as as we know it. And then all the great mm-hmm. the Billy Petersons, Bobby Peterson, Mike Elliott from Natural Life. Yeah, I, 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 get, uh, I get teary-eyed thinking about it. Tell people yeah. about Plummer's Bar who haven't been there. It's the oldest bar in the Twin Cities. It's opened in about 1900. It hasn't changed at
2: all. It
3: has not changed. There had been times when I hadn't been in there for a couple of years at one time. And I went in there, and it was just basically like the only thing that had changed was me. Everything else was yeah. exactly the same. And there's just such comfort in that. And there, it's such a wonderful, you know, I, the whole, you know, folk West Bank scene was a little before my time. But I feel very much of that being alive in there and the fact that it's everyone goes there. There's no, yeah. you can see... From from the top, you know, from the one socioeconomic spectrum, the whole thing is there on any given night, and everything there is. They have great music. They have people who love music who go there, and you go there, and when you play there, people pay attention. And that's not always that's not always the point. That always the case, I should say. And
0: I I sat in with there, and they have
3: this great outdoor patio now. So I am. Knocking on wood right now that it's going to be a clear and sunny day, I'm positively imaging that right now, but they have a great back patio there too, and um, it's just a really, really solid place to see music, they've done really good work there.
0: There was a picture that floated around uh, two or three years ago that John Ham from Mad Men uh, was in town, and I had a picture of him and uh, former bartender Tony Zaccardi with a Hams beer sign, and uh, just to show you where the uh, uh, who might stop in at the Great Palmer's. Bar. Never,
3: you never, you honestly never know who is going to stop in the Palmers. That is true. Yeah.
0: Well, I uh, I spent uh, some quality time there over the years and remember it all fondly and stopping when I have time when I'm in town. Doug Collins, thanks for organizing this great twang fest. I'm not sure if I can make it or not, but I want to encourage anybody that loves music and a great one of the first outdoor shows of the year to go on May 13th. Starts, I believe, 3 o'clock, right, Doug?
3: I think so. I have to... I don't have it. I think it's three or four. It doesn't matter. Come early. You know, it's,
0: it's Palmers. Three is four. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly.
3: I don't think um, the, uh, we'll uh, have you no matter what. And, Paul, well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I hope all is well. It's good to hear your voice.
0: Yes. Well, you have a great gig. And uh, if you ever get up to Duluth, give me a heads up.
3: and uh oh, see, I maybe sure we will.
0: No worries. See if we can track down a place for you to play up here.
3: Cool. That'd be great. All, all right, right. Thanks yeah. again, Paul. Take care. Yeah. We're going to listen to a Doug
0: Collins song right now with Doug Collins. The receptionist called Drinking Again.
3: Well, it's time to start drinking again.
2: Haven't had one since I don't know when.
3: Just like you said. I gave it all up
2: for you, and now you're gone, there's only one thing left to do, and it's time to start drinking again. Let's get it, boys!
0: I want to take a few minutes to salute the late great Gordon Lightfoot who was one of my biggest influences on my own musical and songwriting career. My sister Kathy brought home his record Lightfoot in 1968 from college and I played it and fell in love immediately. He was really my Bob Dylan before Bob Dylan. In 1995 he had a show in Superior, Wisconsin, where, of course, the Edmund Fitzgerald left port. Now, he had played Duluth several times, but never played in Superior. My friend Tracy Lundeen was promoting the show, and I called him and I said, do you need an opening act? He goes, yeah, we'd love to have you. I couldn't have been more excited. It was August 5th, 1995. I got to the gig and I started to set up my stuff. I was going to do a five song opening set and this gentleman that I thought was working with the production company was helping me plug in and I said, geez, what's your name and what do you do? Thinking he was with the production company. He goes, I'm, my name's Barry. I'm Gordon's manager. Let me tell you, that doesn't happen very often. So I played my five songs. When I got done, Barry came up and said, great job, would you like to meet Gordon? Well, of course, I want to meet Gordon, my first real musical hero. So I went back to the trailer, and there he was, the great Gordon Lightfoot. And Gordon goes, I like your first song, your third song, and your last song. I melted like a Snickers bar in the back of a car on a hot July day. I couldn't have been more honored or humbled that he actually listened to my set in In baseball terms, I was batting 600 at that point. He went on to do his show. Now, the lights of Duluth were coming up on the hill that you could see from Connors Point, the outdoor venue where the show was. He did several tunes before he hit the opening chords of the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Now, the month before, on July 4th, 1995, they had discovered the Edmund Fitzgerald and actually raised the bell from the boat. There were several people in the audience who had relatives of sailors that were on, uh, that went down in the, that gales of November on the Edmund Fitzgerald. So when he started to play the opening chords, this ghost foghorn from out in the bay just went mm, really loud. Uh, and everybody knew this was gonna be a very special moment. He played the song this gorgeous evening while the nice warm wind was whipping through and at the very end when he got done there was about 29 or 30 seagulls representing the sailors that went down in that tragedy that swooped down over the stage and flew away. It was pure magic and one of the most intense and soulful musical experience I've ever been a part of. Gordon Lightfoot was also one of Bob Dylan's favorite songwriters, and they said when Bob was on the road, a lot of times he'd sit around with his band and they'd play Gordon Lightfoot songs. It doesn't surprise me, Gordon was one of the best. I want to salute him and tell him in the great songwriting heaven how much I have loved his music, continue to be inspired by it, and what a great moment that was for Paul Messer opening up for Gordon Lightfoot, August 5th, 1990.
2: Lake Huron Roll Superior sings In the rooms of her ice water mansion Old Michigan steams like a young man's dreams The islands
0: Thanks for listening to The Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Brett Johnson. We'd like to thank our guests, John Magnuson and Doug Collins. My book, Alphabet Jazz, has been getting great reviews. You can order it on Amazon or pick it up at The Electric Fetus. And I'm going to be playing a special show at Sacred Heart Music Center as part of Dylan Days with a fellow by the name of Jeff Slate from New York with my buddy Sonny Earl on Thursday, May 26th. Once again, we salute the great Gordon Lightfoot. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.